Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Little Feminist Book Club. Little Feminist wants to help you diversify your child's bookshelf. Each box is built around one to two books of the month that feature strong female characters and or people of color. Their books are selected by a team of teachers, librarians, and parents. I recently received a Little Feminist Book Club box and my three-year-old and eight-year-old loved it. There were activities, a book to read, stickers, conversation pieces, discussion points. It was wonderful. Go to littlefeminist.com and use the coupon code WINNER or click on the link at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast to get started with your Little Feminist Book Club box today. Support also comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. Yeah, it's not it's not something you can just be like, hey, I'm just going to get this thing to you a week after I said I would. I know you're trying to launch because... this thing, but I've really had a bad cold. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well... Enough about talk of being sick and having sick kids. Have you ever experienced the electrifying sensation of proving someone wrong? This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 483. I'm your host, Matthew Winner, and today I'm joined by Keith Negley. Keith's newest book is Mary Wears What She Wants, and it tells the story of young Mary Edwards Walker, the only woman to this day to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor. But this story isn't about medals, it's about fighting for the right to wear what you want. It's about proving people wrong. It was once said that Mary was, and I'm quoting here, the most distinguished sexual invert in the United States. The term sexual invert was used in the 19th century by doctors to refer to homosexuality or a reversal of gender traits. The term comes up in my conversation with Keith, but during conversation, neither he nor I are able to remember the phrase. Mary led a fascinating life, and I've linked to some additional resources in the show notes for those curious for more. I know I was. I've also included a spread from the book so you can get a sense of all that's going on in and through Keith's art. And now, please welcome my guest, Keith Negley, author-illustrator of Mary Wears What She Wants. Hello, my name is Keith Negley. Uh, I go by he, him, and his, and um, I'm an editorial commercial illustrator. Um, 
by trade, I guess, originally, and I've been transitioning into picture books the last few years. Um, I do a lot of work for the New York Times and the New Yorker, and um, now I've got a few books out. Um, my first was Tough Guys Have Feelings 2, uh, came out in 2015, and um, my dad used to be so cool the year after that. And now I have my latest book, Mary Wears What She Wants, which is coming out January 15th, uh, this year, 2019. And you were a previous guest. It was so fun to talk to you for, I guess our focus was tough guys, but I know at the point, at that point, at least I had read My Dad Used to Be So Cool uh, and just loved it. I love your print work. I love your, uh, the limitation on color that, that you seem to to be drawn to, or at least it feels like you're drawn to that. It's what my eyes are drawn to whenever I see your art. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. It's always a struggle with color, honestly. And most things I work on start out full color. Um, and then as I'm working on it, trying to get the entire book to feel cohesive, I start pulling colors out one by one that I feel like don't make any sense or just to my eye just is clapping. And then, eventually I've come to a stop point and I realize, Oh, I only have three colors left in the entire book. Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost, it's not like I, I don't know. It's almost, I mean, I really do appreciate minimal color palettes for sure. But when I see it, when other people are working that way, but for me, it's not even like I'm shooting for it. It's just, it's almost like, I don't think I can handle full color palettes. And so I just whittle it all down to the point where I feel like I'm handling it, if that makes any sense at all. I I think that there's a lot going on with the way that you manage your colors, especially even most recently in Mary Wears What She Wants, because you're also playing with texture. But before I jump into uh, nerding out over the art, why don't you just introduce this book, Keith? Um, when this episode comes out, your uh, book will also be out in the world. People will be able to find it. So tell us a little bit about what, what happens in Mary Wears What She Wants. Yeah, so uh, this book um, was inspired directly by this incredible, incredible woman named Mary Edwards Walker. She was alive in the uh, mid-1800s, um, and she did a lot of amazing things um, that I couldn't even go into in this one podcast, but uh, she was a really big activist in dress reform at the time, and dress reform was a term used for women that were fighting for their rights to wear pants to not have to wear dresses um so not everybody realizes that there was a time not that long ago that women weren't allowed to wear pants and whenever i'm reading this book to kids um their eyes always like bug out like they just don't understand like what are you talking about women weren't allowed to wear girls couldn't wear pants like are you crazy <laughs> um but it's absolutely true and um and the dresses they were forced to wear were not very comfortable. They had, you know, multiple layers. They were very stiff. They dragged on the ground, which picked up all kinds of stuff. Um, and they just weren't very sanitary. They were uncomfortable. They were hot. So Mary, um, she spent a lot of her life, you know, advocating, giving speeches, um, writing, um, traveling all over the country, um, pushing for the right to wear pants. And she would go to these towns a lot of times and get arrested for wearing pants. She would, she made her own clothing, which was modeled after men's menswear. She would wear a top hat and a suit. Um, and it just, she was a real rebel rouser. <laughs> she just, uh, 
caused a lot of problems because people were just very uncomfortable seeing that. That's the part I can't wait to share with children as well. This notion that that she got arrested and very willingly. She knew that she was breaking the law, but her message was stronger than than these laws that she found to be ridiculous. Yeah, well, and a lot of times, well, I shouldn't say a lot. I would, I did, a, I dig really deep as far as I could to find like court records or statements by judges and things. And there was only one that I found that where the judge just kind of threw it off. Like when she would come to court and he's like, okay, she got arrested for wearing pants. Like, why is this a big deal? And he threw it out. Like, I think, I think the, the, the common consensus at the time was it was this unspoken rule that everyone understood and everyone kind of knew it was silly, but at the same time, nobody wanted it to be challenged. So that she was the first one to kind of really stick it in people's faces and point out their hypocrisy. And so once they got called out on it, they realized, okay, this is, I guess this is kind of silly. Um, but it didn't mean it didn't take some time for, you know, it to come around. I mean, I think even at the time she died, which was the early 1900s, it was still pretty provocative. But I should probably digress because I didn't actually talk about the book itself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so but, but, I wanted to. Uh, oh no! Oh, I ahead. could just point out though that what, as you were about to jump into talking about the book, I admire that for this great life that this woman had and all the. Uh, you have an end note of a, a back matter paragraph that that goes into a a little bit more of a um, of a biography that covering her whole life, a more expansive biography. But you do choose to focus uh, just on her childhood. And I think that by constraining the focus that much, it allows uh, a lot of space to ask questions about about how she grew up and, and who she grew up to be. So I, I wanted to tell you before we get too deep that I really appreciated that that focus on this. But go ahead. Tell us a little bit more about about when you when you read this book to kids, what's. What story do they encounter? Um, I think they get a kick out of just seeing a little girl um, kind of speak her mind and speak out um, and just having conviction. I think that that's something I thought would be would resonate with kids. I think a lot of times I think I know for my son, he really enjoys to prove me wrong. Like it's one of his favorite hobbies. Um, so anytime he has a chance to point out that I'm wrong about something, he doesn't, uh, waste it. So I thought it'd be really fun for kids to read a book about a little girl who goes around and points, points out like how wrong everybody is. Um, and so that was kind of the impetus for it. Um, that's why I focused on her as just a little girl. I just wanted it to be a really simple story about pants, um, and that's why it's technically it's, I have to say it's inspired by her because um, honestly, there's no stories of her as a little girl doing these things. It's really more modeled after her, her point of view and her the life she chose to live and her attitude. And it's her kind of embodied in this little girl, Mary, um, who goes to school, who decides to wear pants and goes to school one day and the whole town freaks out. Um, so, and so, yeah, so that's, that's what that's about. And I think, I think kids just get a really big kick out of there's a, a few spreads where Mary finally turns turns around and just lets him have it. And I think <laughs> those are really fun for kids to see. I think even just being able to read people's faces in this book, even from the cover, that as your eyes scan left to right and back again, you've got such a great mix of these like 
raised eyebrows, like disgust, surprise, <laughs> astonishment. It really runs the gamut, and it's it's funny. The one kid, the one child, um, nearly looks like he's going to cry, <laughs> like <laughs> with the awful things that are going on. Um, it's just funny. I like it. Um, but actually, I wanted to ask you one other thing because um, I had the privilege of 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 sharing your book trailer, and I came to understand that it's possible you and I. Uh, were first exposed to Mary's life the same way. Do you want to share at least some of of where you first heard about Mary? Well, yeah. I don't know if what exactly you're referring to, but for me... I'm going all um, in on I... the Memory Palace, just to be clear. Oh, okay, okay, great, <laughs> great. So there's in. a podcast called The Memory Palace, which <laughs> I absolutely love. I love it. And I've been listening to it for a few years. And... Um, there's one where he focuses on, which is, if anyone doesn't know, it's this podcast called by Nate DeMeo. It's pretty well known, I think, at this point, but definitely go check it out on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Um, but he takes, he'll take a little snippet, a little he'll focus on one person that maybe history might have forgotten, and he'll paint this very, very real portrait of this person living in that time. And you can, she, he just brings them, he, he just brings them to life. That you can just feel them in your room with you, like, and. He just has a way of telling these incredibly delicate stories about these people and back in time. Um, so anyway, he does one about Mary Walker, and he he does her whole. He kind of spans her whole life, if I remember. But he does bring up how she wore whatever she wanted. She wouldn't let people tell her what to wear, um, and uh, that was just it. Just struck me like this, like wow, what an amazing picture book this would make. You know, what a great story for a picture book, like a. Like, you know, not being able to wear pants and her going around wearing pants and, and, you know, the whole town freaking out about it um, everywhere she went. I just thought that sounded like such a great idea. So that was that was the impetus. That was really um, what brought me to Mary and me researching her life and then um, putting it together as an actual book pitch. And then at the time that I started working on this, there was... um, all the the news was breaking about laws being passed that would um, uh, keep transgendered students from using the bathrooms oh, that they wanted yes. to use, yeah. that they identified with. Um, and it just again, like it just kind of reinforced this story that it should be told because I kind of feel like, and there's some overlap there with the LGBTQ community. Um, Mary Walker, her sexual preference is is a mystery we're not really we don't really know uh what who she identified as or how she identified um she was married briefly she got divorced but she's also she also lived with another woman for a short period of time and then she spent most of her life alone she also did a lot of writing and made it very clear how she felt about men um (laughs) so um so anyway it's a mystery but she was people there was a term that they were using back then I, man, I wish I would have written it down for this podcast, but she wasn't, it was like, she was like a, a gender. There was a term that basically meant transgender back, but they were using it. It was a term that was used back in the 1800s and I can't remember what it was. And I'm sad. I didn't remember it or write it down. Um, but she was, people didn't consider her to be quote unquote straight if to use a term we use today. So anyway, going back to the whole transgendered bathroom controversy, it just, dawned on me that this is a 
in some ways, this story, this issue that we're reliving right now about letting people just dress how they want and just be who they want to be and um, is still very controversial, even though this is a story, this is an issue that Mary kind of tackled over 100 years ago that we've been dealing with since the 18, you know, 40s. Um, so it just, it just, that gave me that much more confident that this is a relevant story today told. I was struck by that as well. This notion that we might read this book and think how absurd it is that a girl couldn't wear pants. And so just the act of putting on a pair of pants was this strong act of defiance. Um, but yet there are all of these moments that children have opportunity in their lives now to be just as defiant, to stand up for for what they feel like is their right. And it is their right, but there will be the world, including adults, telling them that, that it's wrong. Uh, just that strength that I feel like we can pull from Mary's life. Uh, and then through the way you've told her story, uh, children can see themselves directly in it and, and see that strength and and just consider what little change they might make to make themselves feel more comfortable and perhaps invite others to be more comfortable as as themselves as well. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, Mary's, her whole, her whole issue was about comfort. Like women have a right to be comfortable too. Um, that whole dress reform thing. And it sounds so simple, but at the same time, it's so revolutionary. <laughs> like everybody has a right to be comfortable to wear what they want. I mean, I would love for people to read a book for a little boy to have this book read to them. And for him to connect the dots and, and and just extend that to, oh, I have a right to wear a dress if I choose to. If, if that's I what I need to, to wear yeah. to feel comfortable, you know, in my own skin, that is my right. You know, absolutely. There, There's so, so many places we can go. And I think not only of all the things my brain is thinking around in clothing, but then also in, I mean, if we stick with children, just thinking like, Look in Mary's time, too, how schools have changed, how desks have changed, and how what what does it mean to be comfortable in order to help you learn, in order to help you feel like you're in an environment where you're welcome. Um, it just extends out so much. You really found this little, you know, grain of sand that can ripple out in so many other ways to other things. This just from from this one idea. I like it. But if you don't mind, I want to jump over to your art because since the last time I've talked to you, I feel like I've become even more so a student of art. Despite not being an artist, there are things that I see that I'm like, ooh, my eye is reading this page intentionally. So Keith, I want to talk to you about your art because I feel like you're 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 doing things here to cause us to read the art in a certain way. And I think that that is really powerful. I mean, one of the things though that I see, I was going to go on about these great textures that you use and all of this. And I realized two things are going on here. One, if you just used like block colors everywhere, all the characters would look like a giant blob and that probably wouldn't work. Um, but two, the choices you've made in some of these prints, I feel like 
are defiant themselves. You, sir, wearing this, like, weird suit coat with, like, a polka dot shirt underneath. Who are you to tell this girl she can't just wear slacks? <laughs> I know. Like, well, that's so fun. I'm so glad you brought that up because that actually, it was pretty, it's subtle. It's in there. But um, I actually took a lot of cues from the movie um, Gangs of New York. Oh, I don't know yes. if you're familiar with that movie. I it's am. got Daniel Day-Lewis and, and, and Leonardo um, DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio, right. So if you ever watch that, um, I believe the the costume designer won an, an award for the costumes. But if you look at um, everything that they wear in that movie, um, it's it's set – I forget what year it's set in. But everybody's wearing top hats and, and women are wearing these big dresses. And it's they're completely outlandish. Like their patterns are really – loud and they're wearing these um <clears throat> really big um you know plaids and and patterns and things like that and like a lot of layers and their top hats are really you know very modeled and formed and <clears throat> and um in the movie it totally works but it was so much fun to see that movie um and apply that to mary i really wanted to point out how ridiculous all the adults looked like in their what they what they would consider fashionable at the time. You yes. Know? Obviously, they probably didn't wear like plaid pants. You know, like no one was walking around with like bright pink plaid pants in the 1800s. But it was it was kind of a subtle sub story, you know, to point out that these people think you know what they're wearing is fashionable and appropriate and okay. But then they're they're the one they're getting bent out of shape about a little girl who just wants to wear pants. Right. So, yeah, that's definitely there, and I'm, I'm really glad you picked it up. And to have it be solid colors. I mean, one, she's wearing this bright yellow shirt, which makes it a focal point really easily for us because most of the townspeople are wearing blues and pinks. But to have it just be solid yellow with, like, a solid pink belt trim with, other than the stripes, what are basically, like, solid black or navy pants these are solid they're like as plain normal as can be it's just it's so fun on the eye to see that like as much as my attention is drawn to their faces and their posturing all that posturing draws attention to their ridiculous ridiculous yes yeah yeah that's so great that you picked up on that yeah for sure i really wanted that to be there i wanted people to to make that connection and there's a scene where mary's getting kind of chased she's it's the and they're all holding picket signs behind her um and it's just this big mob and it's just a crazy obnoxious you know clump of patterns and colors overlapping and they just and just angry faces um all going after this like little old mary um, and so that was, it was just important to me. I just wanted them to look completely outlandish and ridiculous in their own, almost like the ridiculousness of their expectations of Mary to be mimicked by the ridiculousness of what they're wearing. Yes. I like too, the way that your language in your text is just so, it feels conversational to a child or among children. I really, I really was drawn to that because it just makes the story go so fast. Do you mind if I read just an excerpt to you? Uh, oh, go for it. Um, you share, this is right. This is going to be the part where Mary is in school wearing a dress and makes the decision to step out for the first time wearing pants. It reads, um, Mary thought it should be different. And she had an idea, a very daring idea a great idea. Mary liked it so much. She went into the town to show everyone. 
It was kind of a big deal, and not everyone liked it. It's unnatural, said the lady in the polka-dotted bonnet. It's simply sh I'm simply shocked, said the man with the pinstriped hat. And when children saw her, it was more of the same. You're going to regret wearing pants, Mary Walker. They all said, no, I won't, Mary said back. Support for the Children's Book Podcast also comes from the Highlights Foundation, hosting intimate and inspiring workshops for children's authors and illustrators. Thinking about writing for children? Or have you always wanted to write a children's book but aren't quite sure how it works? Join us March 21st to 24th, 2019 for Everything You Need to Know About Children's Publishing, a Crash Course. And learn everything there is to know about the children's publishing world, including how the publishing process works, how to know when you're ready to submit a manuscript, how to find which publishers to submit to, how contracts work, the editorial and marketing process, and a whole lot more. And you'll hear from a number of people in the industry who can help to understand the process. Faculty includes Harold Underdown, Leah Henderson, Rachel Werner, Allison Green Myers, Lindsay Barrett George, and me. Yep, I'll be there too. Registration is now open. Visit highlightsfoundation.org. And from Viz Media. Viz is excited to announce that Pokemon Adventures, the most popular and longest-running Pokemon comic, is now available digitally. Visit viz.com Pokemon to read a free preview of the beloved All Ages series. That's viz.com Pokemon. Even in the text, uh, hopefully the listener can imagine that this is a child considering wearing these pants and then going out and doing it but to have even in the text calling out like said the person with this ridiculous thing on or this atypical piece of clothing on that's yeah great. it sounds great when you read it <laughs> oh thank well yeah i mean you're also calling things that we don't that we don't wear anymore like wearing a bonnet um wearing a oh, pinstripe yeah. hat these are these are articles of clothing that if we saw one person wearing them today now we would think it looks ridiculous, but also we can reverse it. Wear a bonnet today. Rock your bonnet and see if you think it looks awesome. <laughs> like, do it. It's just funny, though, that, like, when you do your thing, I don't know. It's that old adage of, what, is, what do they say? Like, when, you, when you're pointing the finger at someone, you're also pointing three back at yourself, right? Mm. That, like, you have to be really thoughtful of how you're criticizing others because you're also drawing a lot of attention to yourself. And you might not be what they think is... I don't know, normal or acceptable either. Right. So true. I like it. I like that you whittled That's it so down. Great. Thank you. I like that you, well, thank you for writing it. Was your text always this um, terse, this tight? Because you said the art, the color. I was really actually surprised to hear that you said you work almost in full color and then narrow it down, narrow it down. To hear you edit art like that feels a lot like what I know as a writer we go through editing down our words yeah I mean you know I'm sure this goes for every children's book author you know every every little you know word or comma gets gone over <laughs> over and over and over scrutinized constantly you know, even right before it goes to the printer like I'm still reading through it making sure it's doing what I want it to do and but I would say it's never 
my amount of words are never more than what you're seeing here. Like it's, it's, I'm always trying to let the illustrations do as much of the lifting as possible. Yeah. Um, your other books are just, the same that way too, that it's very, it, it's, it's, it's driven by text that supports the art, but allows the art to really have its own chance to be in the spotlight as well. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know. That's just who I am. That's who I am as an artist and as a reader. Like when I'm picking up books at the bookstore, if I open that first spread and there is like two paragraphs there, I don't end up making it past that first spread. That's just me. Like I just want to get sucked right in to the art. And I want all the only thing I need the text to do is to just get me to turn to the next page. Like that's for me, the ultimate goal of what the text should be doing. Um, and so that's just how I write naturally. I mean, I, I wish, you know, there are a lot of books out there that have a lot of copy and they're beautifully written. And there's times where I wish I could handle that much, but honestly, just for the bit of type I have here, the copy I use here, it's already enough. It's, 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 it's as much as I can handle. <laughs> when you, so. when you started with the art was pink, Oh, I'm going to hop back and forth here, but was pink always a focal color? Because there's also a scene where when I'm reading it, I feel like the pink actually makes a statement. Whereas in the rest of the book, I would have just said, oh, yeah, those are the three colors. It's like pink, blue and yellow. But then there's this one page where uh, Mary is at home on the bed with her dad after having this hard day. Um, And dad is just sort of saying they've just never seen somebody, a girl wearing pants before. But we see dad with his with his shoes off and he has a pink sock and a blue sock and I wouldn't my inclination is not to call it a pink sock because there were three colors in this book and yet it reads as oh that was a decision you're wearing a color that is not normally a color I would put on despite again I know that I just read an entire book where all of the men and the women are wearing blues and pinks for some reason that sock to me Keith that sock like really stuck with me yeah you're not the first one to bring that up and honestly I'm I'm always surprised. Um, a lot of like when we were pitching this to be acquired, a lot of editors would come back and be like, "I love the two colored socks on the dad. It's my favorite." And I'm always like, "Really? Like that was your favorite part?" Um, which I think is fun. You know, um, it's in there just to be fun. It wasn't like I was trying to make any kind of a subversive statement about socks or colors, but it's honestly just there because I wanted the dad to feel approachable and humble and, you know playful and not like the stoic authority figure kind of thing. Um, that's well, kind of where I was coming from with that. It in, in that narrative though, it also fits for me that, that it's also an in for Mary that like, look, you want to do this thing that most quote unquote, most people don't do, but here I am doing a thing too. So why wouldn't the apple, you know, not fall far from the tree? Right. Well, and just in real life, her dad was an incredible man. He, a lot of what, you know, Mary's attitude towards her rights and, and, you know, pushing back against the status quo came from her dad. He was pretty great at instilling that in in his kids. But just to go back to the colors too, um, which is interesting because I did start full color. I wouldn't say pink was, was at the start of it was not, you know, this huge part of the color palette. It was there, but it was among, you know, you know, a huge gamut of color. And then I, again, I slowly whittled it down to ended up with just pink and blue and yellow, but there was yellow throughout the entire book, you know, not just Mary. And then 
the last choice I made was to just have Mary be yellow just as a as a device so people could just follow her through the book easily they could find her immediately in every spread and then that was just a purely design choice and then when I went back to uh, my editor and the design the art director on the book they commented like oh wow we love you know how you made everything blue and pink these gen these typically gender colors gender oriented colors and Mary's the only non-gendered color she's yellow you know and um and at the end of the book um everybody's i don't want to necessarily give it away i don't know but a lot everyone has yellow now at this point on the very last spread and honestly that was so just a purely design choice but when (laughs) the editor came back and was like oh yeah this is this is so smart the way you did this i was like oh yeah Mm mm-hmm I totally did that. Yep, that was what I did. Like, <laughs> it's a happy but it accident, works. but it reads that way. Yeah. I read the yellow as well. Um, uh, in in the context of imagery, I read it that she was a light. I For whatever reason, my brain, it should have, uh-huh. but my brain didn't go to gender. It should have, because pinks and blues would read that way. But for some reason to me, I saw her as a light, that she was illuminating and that they weren't ready for her light until the end when when you can see the light reflected back on them. But I love that notion too that it's it's wearing these like gender typical colors. Yeah, I thought I I don't know, Keith. I thought front to back you did a really beautiful job. I love a picture book that reads this smoothly that I have to restrain myself from turning the page too early because I know I know this book. I want to go fast, but the kids that I read it to don't know it yet. I have to slow myself down. I like yeah. books that read like that. That's fun. That's cool. Awesome. Well, that's a great compliment. Thank you. So we talked about a ton about Mary and her life and your decisions in text and in art and, and, and what parts of her life to share. Is there anything that we, that we didn't talk about that I didn't bring up that you want to make sure uh, listeners here, I'm watching our time before we go. I, uh, before I ask you that last question, I thought just if there's anything we missed that I would give you a chance to share it. Um, No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, we really hit all the notes that I wanted to get across. I thought it was awful that they were throwing rocks at her, just so you know. I know that it's like fully, it felt right. That was, I I was there throwing rocks or throwing eggs or throwing whatever. um, Yeah, they were eggs, eggs, actually. Because when you see them on her, it's, as I'm flipping to it now, I'm realizing that you can see the spots. Um, Well, that actually happened, apparently. There's a story that (sighs) that kids, actually, she was a, Mary was a school teacher for a little while. And there were her kids from the school were actually throwing eggs at her. Isn't that crazy? The kid, the, could you imagine the students throwing yeah. eggs at you? All those, or children? like them having, yeah, them having the. They feel like they have the the right, the um, right, like, oh, the, like, the the power. Yeah, she's wearing or whatever, pants. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also it's like crazy. a it's a power thing too that you're not just attacking with words. Now you're like physically attacking her. You gave her. Yeah, that was important to me to put that in the book. I wanted that in there because it actually did happen. So I mean, there's. It's like I said, this isn't like based on real events necessarily. I mean, it's inspired by, but I just I did try to put as much as I could from Mary's real life in here. She actually mentions at one of the lines at the end where you know she's like, "I'm not wearing boys' clothes. I'm wearing my own clothes." Like that's actually a quote that Mary says in real life. Yeah. So. I appreciated yeah. that on that page you gave you gave her strength. You gave her on her face. She's she's angry. She's frustrated. Her eyebrows are like pointing down. She's cross. But 
but that sadness that not defeat but but reading the other emotions doesn't really come until she's with her dad when she's back at home where it's a place where she can feel or be who she wants to be so all of that was just really read it read really well for me on the art i really appreciated that but yeah i read it as only where they're throwing rocks uh from memory but it clearly eggs um from the art but really cool that it's a, a not really cool, really awful, but fascinating that that is also a detail that happened. Mm. Anyway, Keith, it's great. You did a great job. I'm really uh, Thank impressed. you so much. That I means wanna... a lot. I know you read a ton of books, and so just to hear that it gets your approval is a huge compliment. Ugh, it gets my approval, please. Um, you have the approval of children, and that's the that's the greatest part, right? Because the book soon, as of recording this, soon the book's not yours anymore. It's going to be theirs. I can't wait to share yep. it to them when it's theirs. Right now I have a folded and gathered copy, which I think – this might be the first school that I've ever read folded and gathered copies to the children. So um, it took a little while for them to realize <laughs> – <laughs> Look, I know how to hold a book. This is just more awkward and funny when I hold it. But I can't wait for them to see this book. I'm always grateful to have um, fold and gather copies because it means that we can take the art apart and look close at it and share it and put it on different tables and then reassemble the book. I like that. Um, but I'm grateful that you shared this book with me. I know that we've been sort of in a roundabout way talking about children, talking about readers, our students this whole time. But um in wrapping up our conversation, I'm going to end it here. Keith, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yeah, I guess my message would be, you know, don't be afraid to speak out when there's something that you need to be comfortable would be. And when you see, I guess maybe when you see friends or other classmates doing something that they need to feel comfortable even if it may not look normal, like don't be afraid of them. This is Darshna Kiani, children's author and book blogger. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.flowering-minds.com forward slash South Asian Kidlet. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individual's and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out with the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast 
and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Corina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.